Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. All right, if you have a Bible, you can turn or your phone scroll to Nehemiah chapter 9. And uh, last week we ended the service the same way you guys were voices raised, screaming, God is great and greatly to be praised. And as I was watching you sing and as I was singing with you, I realized that there's some people who actually don't believe that. We say God is great and greatly to be praised. We clap our hands, we sing. It warms our hearts, but there's some people who don't believe it. Here's the other thing. There's some people who don't really truly understand how true that actually is. But that's why we have Nehemiah chapter 9. Because when you kind of climb into it, when you settle down, when you allow it to speak into your life, it shows you and teaches us what God is truly like. It teaches us how God treats his people And it it teaches us and shows us that it's actually right to say God is great. And here's the first reason it says, God is great because God is unique. God is great because God is unique. Verse six, it says, you are the Lord. Oh, just so you know, I'm not going to do this straight through. I'm going to be moving around because that's just the way I had to structure it to make this make sense to you. So verse six says, you are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, it, on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the hosts of heaven worship you. And so right away, Nehemiah says, you are the Lord. What he's telling you is that God is uncreated, that he is set apart, that he is self-sufficient, that actually God needs no one. Notice he says, you are the Lord, you alone. Not you and somebody else, you alone. God needs no one, but creation needs him. Say it again, Jermaine. God needs no one, but creation needs him. It says, you preserve all he has made. Psalm 104, Anthony said this was a lot of verses to show you, but I'm going to show you anyway. Psalm 104, not because he didn't think it was good. It's just he had to make a lot of slides. You, Psalm 104, 10 to to 18. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. See God providing? The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man. The food, the wine you, 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 you enjoy, all from God, all because of God. Oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. 
The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted, in them the birds build their nests, even a place for birds to rest. The stork has his home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badger. When you, all you got to do is look in Scripture and realize how much God does for his creation. When he says, you preserve them all, you're being told the truth. God is high above us, but yet he is right there taking care of us all the time, every single day. And that's why it says, the, the host of heaven worship you. When you sing, God is great. You are giving God the praise that he is due for all that he does for all of us. Believer and unbeliever, do you know that? Even the person right now who has no heart for God is being sustained and taken care of by God because that is who our God is. Here's this next one. God is great because God is caring. God is great because God is caring. He, he caring, he delivers us. Look at verse nine. It says, and you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against them, against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they had acted arrogantly against our fathers. Arrogantly against our, I lost my spot. And you made a name for yourself as it is today. And you divided the sea before them so that they, they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depth as a stone in the mighty waters. God, he saw what the people were going through. He says, the text says he saw their affliction. He heard their cry. And God doesn't sit on his hands. He sees what people are going through. But he's not like, oh, that's too bad for them. He sees what we're going through, but he's not like, oh, yeah, deal with that on your own. God actually moves. He does something. He says he performed signs, this is verse 10, and wonders against Pharaoh. And what you got to do here is you read Exodus, you notice that God worked through Moses to, 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 to deliver the people from a prideful king. He worked through Moses to deliver the people out of grueling slavery. And hasn't he done something very similar in your life? Hasn't God worked through Jesus Christ to, de to deliver you from the deceit of Satan? Do you realize that? Satan cannot deceive you anymore because you have the spirit in you. You have the word of God in front of you. And when you listen to it and when you follow it, you walk in the truth. Hasn't God worked through Jesus Christ to deliver you from slavery to sin? Aren't you free from sin? We don't walk in the victory that we have because we forget that. I'm free. I don't have to go back to those Old habits, slavery is over. He got them out of Egypt and he guided them through the wilderness. Verse 11, it says, and you divided the sea that was before them. So they went through in the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depth and the stone into the mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. Look down at verse 19. In your, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud led them in the way and did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by, by night to light for them the way that they should go. 
You see that? Again, the way that they should go. God's like, not that way, this way. With them at all times. Because God cares about us, he actually gives us direction in life. He wants us to live the right way. So here's here's how this applies. If you have a major decision in front of you that needs to be made, you need to seek God. Don't Don't just try to figure it out on your own. You need to seek God for direction. I'll give you some examples. Maybe you're thinking about buying a house in this climate. (laughs) Seek God for direction. Maybe you're like, I got a company. I'm thinking about hiring somebody for my business. Maybe you're like, I'm trying to choose a church. Where should I go? Seek God for direction. I'm thinking about investing some money, trying to build on what I've got. Seek God for direction. I'm thinking about changing my job. The the people I'm working for, it's just not going too right. So I'm looking for something else. Seek God for direction. Direction. Maybe I, I'm gonna. I want to get some more education. I want to stack, put some more on my resume. Seek God for direction. He was with them in the wilderness, and he's like, "Don't go that way. Go that. Why? Because he cares, and he cares about you just the same." And sometimes we look at our life and we're like, "I got this thing going on that I've got to do," but no, God, God doesn't care about that. He only cares about getting me the glory. No, God cares about how you're living right now. And wants your best right now. If all it was about was just getting you to glory, it would have been like, I trust Jesus, we're out of here. But you're here. And there's big decisions in front of us all the time. And sometimes we end up in some terrible spots because we just make decisions without ever seeking God. Without ever believing that God is so invested, so involved, so ingrained in the details of my life that this little thing, that's, that this thing that seems so little, that it doesn't matter to God, and it does. Because he wants your best. He wants what's right for you. And so you seek the Lord, and you're like, Marv, how do I do that? You're telling me, seek God? Read your Bible. Amen. Trust me. You're like, really? I'm like, Yes. Spirit in you, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered word in front of you. God cares for you. He'll talk to you from it. Pray. You know, sometimes it's like, I got to make this decision, which is really important, and then you just move. What if you took an hour? What if you took a week? What if you took a month? What if you took a year? I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to pray and wait and trust that God is going to speak to me. Here's this next one. Why don't you talk to the people of God who care about you? See, sometimes we don't talk to the people of God because the thing we're thinking about doing, we know we probably shouldn't do, and we don't want anybody to tell us different. And so we're like, I'm just going to not say anything. Here's the thing, though. When we mess it up, who are we looking to for help? The people we didn't talk to. The people that God put into our life. And we're going to help because that's how we're supposed to be. But how much mess could we avoid if we simply said, you know what, I'm going to seek God because he cares about me and he actually guides and looks after me, so I'm going to seek him. Here's this next one. We know God cares for us because he provides for us. He provides for us. Verse 13, I should have worn my glasses today. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws and good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath 
and commanded, them, and commanded them commandments and statutes and laws by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give to them. Look at verse 20. It says, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and you did not withhold manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. You notice this? God gave them a word. It says in verse 13, he gave them right rules and laws and good statutes. And then he gave them food. It says you gave them in verse 15, bread from heaven, verse 20, water for their thirst. What did that tell you? God took in the wilderness, God took care of their physical and their spiritual needs, both. Which tells you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Food's not the only thing you need. Some of you are like, I'm hungry right now. It's not the only thing you need. It's not the only thing I need. You need, we need a word from God. And did you notice how the scriptures are described? Did you catch it? Are you reading your Bible close? It says, he gave them right rules, true laws. He he gave them what is good, true, right, and good. Because God cares about us, he tells us what's right. When you open up the word, you're being told what is right. Because God cares about us, he tells us what is good. And because God cares about us, he tells us how to live the good life. And that's the, when you look at scripture, how do you think about it? Is it, oh, it's boring. Oh, some of it's, I was talking about this last week, right? We're back here again. I don't know if I have time for that. I'm up here telling you how good the word of God is, and you're just kind of like, hmm. This, this thing that God went out of his way to make sure that for, for throughout church history to preserve so that it's in your hand. You know there's some people who, who want the Bible in our world right now and don't have it? And they, and they still, and, and here's the sad thing, their faith is stronger than ours at times. Because we we have so much. We have it and we take it for granted. True, right, and good. You want to know how to live the good life. Turn to the word. Let God speak to you. Verse 21. It says, For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. They lacked nothing. Nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Nehemiah here, as they're, as they're sort of recounting and really praying and doing sort of a confession, what's he telling you? God's good. God is great. When we look back over the history, Nehemiah is saying, when we look back at what you have done, the people lacked nothing. They had everything they needed. Think about it. Food, a word, a cloud, a fire to say, here's the way to go. There there was no doubt in their minds whatsoever that God was with them, that God was for them. They lacked nothing. Derek Kidner said they lacked nothing and appreciated nothing. Let me say it again. They lacked, yeah. I, I wonder if you read it before you came in. They lacked nothing 
and appreciated nothing. Here's where it gets tough. Look at verse 16. It says, but they, our fathers, acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed leaders to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. This idea, do you know, do you catch the phrase twice? Stiffen their neck, stiffen their neck. Do you know what it means? It means to be stubborn. It means to be prideful. God gave them all that they needed, everything they needed, every single day, at all times, and then verse 17 says, but they refused to obey. They continued to turn on God. And here's the thing, disobeying God is going back to bondage. Look, it says, verse 17, they appointed leaders to return to their slavery in Egypt. Life in Egypt was hard. When you get home, just go read it. But when they get out, do you know what they say? They get in the wilderness and things get a little bit tough. And they're like, do you remember when we were in Egypt and we were sitting by the meat pots and we were eating leeks and life was so good? You're like, what? I mean, I just read 10 verses ago that they were getting whipped and beaten. And it says they appointed, they're like, we want to go back to Egypt. When you disobey God, you are going back to the thing that God has freed you from. Think about that. You are going back to slavery. When you disobey God, here's the other thing. You are forgetting the good things that God has done for you to get you where you are. They're out of slavery. They're in a wilderness, sure. That means when you really follow Exodus, it means they're going through the process of sanctification. Life is challenging. You come to Jesus, it feels really good. You're like, yes, this is amazing. And then you start to walk with Jesus and you're like, oh, there's some things God wants to do in me. There's some things God needs to work out, for, out of me. And so he takes you through the wilderness and it's hard, but they, they forget and sometimes we forget. It says in verse 17, they were not mindful of the wonders that you performed. Here's what's also crazy. Not only do they forget what God has done, they give credit to somebody else. You're like, where'd you get that, Marv? Oh, look at verse 18. Just so you know, I'm not making it up. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is our God who brought us out of Egypt and committed great blasphemy. They made a, a golden calf, set it up, made it all nice and shiny and worshiped it. And they're like, the rescue that we experienced was because of this thing that can't talk. Aren't are, are we like, aren't we foolish? And all you gotta do is slow down and realize like, oh, I'm like that. God does something great in my life. God does something good for me. And then I forget. And when I forget, 
I turn and, I, and now I'm, 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 I'm giving myself and I'm worshiping something else, even though there's this great God who has done so much good for me. The people were stubborn, forgetful, prideful. But look at verse 17. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. What is he telling you? God is great because God is patient. He says, it says, even in all of that, you are ready to, slow to anger, ready to forgive. Doesn't somebody need to hear that word right now? Maybe you're not in the faith. I'm up here talking to you like, yeah, I'm, I'm that person who's like, yeah, I don't know if God is all that great. But I'm up here talking and you're feeling like, oh yeah, but I can see. I can see legitimate sin in my life. I can see that a legitimate change needs to be made right now. Well, the Bible says God is ready to forgive. Which means if you turn and repent and confess, then forgiveness is available because he is patient. It says that he did not forsake them. And, and just in case you're like, mm, I don't know if God's all that patient. You only showed me sort of like one verse. Let me show you a couple more. Look at verse 26. It says, nevertheless, watch this. They were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back. That good, that right, that true word God gave. They're like, we don't want that. Cast their laws behind your back and killed your prophets. The people that God sent to them to say, hey, turn, repent. They're like, we're going to get rid of those people. Killed your prophets who had warned them in order that they may turn back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who had made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. So they're like, they go back into this cycle. They, they sin, they cry out, God rescues. Things get good, watch. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies because God has to judge sin so that they had dominion over them. Yet, they had t yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. And many times, many times you delivered them according to your mercies and you warned them in order to turn back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck, and there's that phrase again, and would not obey. But watch this. Many years you bore you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet, you, yet they would not give ear. They, therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. Watch. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. Why? For you are gracious and merciful. You're like, what drives the patience of God? He's gracious and kind. And so the people go over and over and over. And sometimes we just need to sit in church and just read the Bible and just read the scriptures to realize over and over there's this pattern. Sin, crying out, rescue. Sin, crying out, 
rescue. Sin crying out, rescue. God is there for them, even in the midst of all that is going on there. And what I'm trying to show you and trying to get you to see is that this is us. You don't got to watch a TV show to find out who you, this is us. All the tears, right? All that show ever did was make you cry. (laughs) This is us, but this is our God. Long-suffering with the people who are hard-headed. I'm not trying to be harsh with you. I'm not trying to be rough with you. I'm telling, this is me. But God even though we don't deserve it, sticks by us. Hoping that in all of the love and the grace that flows towards us, we would finally say, you know what, I'm done breaking that cycle. Couldn't God have looked and said, you know what, I'm done with these people. Rescue, back to, couldn't he just be like, yeah, I'm done. Couldn't he just wipe them off like chalk on a chalkboard? But he doesn't do that. Many years, it says, he, he bore with them, long-suffering. That's because God does not want anyone to perish, but all to reach repentance. God wants us to live. And so he, he just, again, here's another opportunity. Here's another opportunity to get it right. Here's another day of grace. Here's another day of mercy. The question is, is when are we going to make sure that this cycle does not continue to happen in our life? There's going to be days when you slip. That's just a reality. But it's the, it's the unbroken pattern. That's when you got to ask some hard questions. God is patient. He's given us a chance to get it right. Here's this last one. God is great because God is faithful. He does what he says. He does what he says. Look at verse seven. It says, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave to him the name Abram. So God calls Abram and changes his name. And the name Abraham means father of many. And in Genesis 12, God actually says, that's what you're going to become. This is who you're going to be. And now look at verse 22. It says, and you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner so that they took possession of the land of Sion, king of Heshbon, of the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and you brought them into, a, into the land that you had told them, told their fathers to enter. So the descendants went in and possessed the land and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land. When he says that you multiplied their children of the stars of heaven, this is actually a reference to the promise that God made to Abraham. The children were multiplied. And then verse eight, it says, you you found his heart faithful before you and made with him a covenant and gave to his offsprings the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, Prezites the Jebusites, and the Gergesites. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous. Kept his promise. God doesn't lie. God is great because he tells us the truth. God is great because he does what he says. 
And so if you're sitting here and you're like, I've built my life and I'm, I am living based on the promises of God that I found in scripture, you are being wise because God is going to come through on what he has said. He made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to you, didn't he? He's going to complete the good work that he started in you. He's going to renew this broken world that you're living in. He's going to put you one day face to face with the Savior that you have given your life to. God's going to fulfill all those promises. He promises to be with you in all your trials and struggles, and he is with you, trust me, even in the times when you don't feel it. Working. God keeps his word. God is great also because God gives grace to the humble. God is faithful. He gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 32. It says, Now therefore, our God, the great and mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us. They're being honest upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers. Notice that hardship has come on everybody. And all your people. Since, it's, since the time of the king of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept the law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their, king, in their kingdom and amid your great goodness that you have gave them and in the large and rich land that you had set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They have ruled over our bodies and our livestock and they, as they please. And we are in great distress. And you're like, hold up. Didn't they just fix the wall? Isn't everything getting, getting better? Weren't they just sort of under the word of God together, celebrating and enjoying that? Isn't things all good? Well, yes and no. See, the people broke the covenant, and so God sent them into exile. Well, but now they're back. But they're still suffering. They're still struggling. That's why they say, we are slaves today. And the reason why they say that is because they're still under Persian rule. And even though the Persian Empire was not the worst one that the people of God ever experienced, there were still high taxes. Does anybody know about that? There were still high taxes. There was all kinds of poverty around still. Remember, the city was destroyed. The economy wasn't working. Nobody was really living in there. And so, yes, the wall has been built. There's some security, but something, they still need more help from God. There's limited freedom. Look, they say we have experienced hardship since the time of the king of Assyria to this day. They're still struggling. And, but notice, Nehemiah says, why? Did you catch why he said? Why they're going through it? Verse 37, because of our sins. Verse 33, they say, Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. They're like, God, it's what you, the, the judgment that we experience was right. It takes a lot of humility to say that. What you have done is right. We, we have acted wickedly. For it, sorry, sorry, 
Sorry, yet you have been righteous and all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. They take ownership for their sin. They don't look and they're like, God's been bad to us. They say, this is on us. This happened because of what we did. All God has done has been faithful to what he said he would do if we sinned. That's all that has gone on. God is being faithful. We are the unfaithful ones. And sometimes, right, in our culture, people are mad at God. Oh, he's so harsh. You're like, well, but it's your, he said, if you lived right, that wouldn't happen. But if you do this, this would happen. Isn't that honesty? Isn't that credit? Isn't that faithful? Steady. And so we can't be mad at God. They say we are in great distress in verse 37. And do you know why they're saying that? They're saying we want this to be different. Yes, the walls are built. Yes, we're feeling a little bit secure. Yes, some of us are moving back in. But God, we're asking for you to give mercy. We're asking for you to just, just kind of end all of the suffering that we are experiencing. We are in great distress. They want God to change things, but here's what they know. They know that change cannot happen before there's confession and repentance. That the work that you want God to do in your life, that the change that you want him to make does not happen until you surrender yourself, till you say, I am taking ownership of what I have done. I am confessing and I'm repenting and God, I'm asking you to change things for me. Look at verse one. It says, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth. That means they're mourning over their sin. And the earth on their heads and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities to their father the iniquities of their fathers, and they stood in that place and read from the book of the law, their God, for a quarter of a day. So they're in the text again, and it's scripture that's actually bringing them to this place of we need to confess and repent. And for another quarter of the day, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. They take ownership. And I'm, I did all of that to bring you to this spot. The people who take ownership like this get grace. I've said, all of the, I've said all of that to take you to the spot to make you realize that when you behave like this, the mercy of God begins to flow towards you. And let me show it to you. In Luke, is it gonna come up, I think? Luke, what's the, what's the reference? Luke 23, go back to the other one. It says, one of the criminals, this is the thief on the cross with Jesus. One of the criminals who were hanging railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Isn't that funny? People get, get they're, they're getting due consequence for their sin, and they're like, mad at God. And they think, if I get mad at God, he's going to help me. Oh, yeah, that's, really? Doesn't the Bible make you laugh at times? Because we're so foolish. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Watch this. But there's always a nice contrast of people, right? That's the prideful. Let me take you to the humble. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since we're under the same sentence of condemnation? Watch this. Just like the people in, uh, in Nehemiah 9. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. 
Next slide. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he makes his request. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him and says, and he said to him, he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Humility leads to mercy. Humility leads to grace. And isn't the Son of God great? He's hanging and dying. He's hanging and suffering. He's hanging and bleeding to death. He's hanging and suffocating to death. And he's still thinking about somebody else. He's still looking at this person and he's saying, I love you so much. I'm not going to complain about what I'm going, I'm going through. I'm going to look at your humility and I'm going to love it. I'm going to bless it. I'm going to love you right to the end of my life. And I'm going to give you a word that's going to bless your soul. That's going to hold you up as you're about to die. But as you die, you are going into paradise, into the kingdom with your God, with great glory and let me tell you there's not going to be any distress for this guy he's about to die but do you know what he says he's not saying oh i'm up here in great distress he's hanging dying and he as he's hanging there he can say i am up here with great joy because the savior of the world has looked at me and he said today not tomorrow Today, not next week. Today, not next year. Right at this very moment, the moment you take your last breath, you are going to be with me in paradise. In paradise. And I'm showing you this because that's where you're going. If you have confessed and repented of your sin and you're continuing to do that, because we're not perfect, we still struggle. But if you're in this place of humility, saying, God, I'm here again. But it's not because of what, it's not because of you, it's because I have acted wickedly. Then you're standing in grace and you will be in paradise with the great, the mighty, the awesome God. That's your reality. And so we are to stay in this place of humility. And you're like, oh, but we're not going to paradise yet. It hasn't come yet, Marv. So what should we do? Oh, the Levites answered that question. It says in verse 5, they say, stand up. The Levites say, stand up. Is anybody going to stand up? Sometimes we don't stand in church until, you know, somebody says, stand up. But stand. Come on. It says, stand up. Stand up, they say. Carla, you guys can come back. Stand up and bless the Lord your God. The Levites are like, we know how good God is. We know how great God is. We know how awesome God is. So we should stand and give him the praise that he is. We should stand and sing, God is great. Stand up and bless the Lord your God. From everlasting to everlasting, bless your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. We are told that as we wait on this day to experience paradise, we are to sing and give God the praise he is due because God is 
great because he is good to us. He gives us what we don't deserve. And he sticks with us through all of our mess because he's kind, because he's good, because he is great. And so I want to hear you sing. I'm going to join you. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.